All right, I'm going to take you to Luke 11. Here's what I want you to talk about, about your, around your table, okay? Um, what, have you got a favorite glass you drink from at home? Um, uh, when you're, uh, uh, Paul, I can see you sitting by the pool in Norman. There's probably a favorite glass that you drink from or a favorite like coffee mug that coffee doesn't taste right unless it's in that one. Talk to your, talk to your group about that around your table, okay? And describe whatever that thing is to them, okay? Go. You're having fun with this. Paul, what is it? I'm curious. It's a Yeti. Does it, knowing you, does it have an O and a U on it? Yeah. Huh? It ought to. Okay, I just know you well. Joe says he's got a 32-ounce cup that he fills with tea in the morning and drinks that and then drinks water the rest of the day. And, um, and by the way, he spends most of his day in the bathroom, I figure, from that one. But, uh, uh, um, Rhonda, what, you, you got one? Yes, a pink goblet that someone gave you. A pink goblet that someone gave you. That's pretty wonderful. Uh, yeah, Debbie. I have a coffee mug middle granddaughter Kylie gave me and it says I love you a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. My guess is it's more meaningful to you because of who gave it to you even than because of that message which is very sweet. Okay. Yeah Joanne. Well I had several. My favorite is one that was given to us at one of our Oh, wow. Wow. That, and, and it, it means something to you because of who it represents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. I didn't actually bring mine, but um, four or five years ago, Ron and I took, it was about this time of year, uh, we uh, stayed for a couple of days. It was over, actually, it was over Labor Day weekend, and we were in Colorado at, at Dan and um, Janet Sherry's place. In, uh, they've got kind of a compound there in, uh, in uh, West Cliff, Colorado. And um, we were there just over kind of a long weekend. And as I am uh, required to do, I had to drive a certain lady to an antique store or two while we were in that area. <laughs> and uh, th- this particular place we were in was incredibly just junky. It was just, but you can find the best things in the junkiest places. And um, uh, I found um, one of these, the first one of these I'd found. So this is, what would you call this, restaurant wear? It's very heavy. Uh, This one and the ones that I collect says Victor on the bottom of it. You can't say that, but take my word for it. Um, uh, I, I like these because they're thick and I like my coffee hot. And so... Uh, I'll put about, I'll even put only about a half a cup in there and then keep refreshing it because I want it to stay pretty hot. Um, well, anyway, the first of these I found was at this junky antique store in, um, in I forgot even what town we were in, uh, in Colorado. And it was inside and out nasty. <laughs> the uh, outs, I paid four bucks for it, okay? 
the outside was redeemable. The inside had mold and all kinds of junk in it. I was just like, who would put that on a shelf to sell? Well, but they fished me in. You know, I, I bought the thing. Took it, and I found, uh, I may have had to buy this, but I think I found under the kitchen sink in this place where it's staying some Comet. And I took Comet to it for probably 45 minutes, didn't I? And got it to where it was serviceable. And I drank from that one every morning for two or three years until I, as I want to do, I dropped it one day and shattered it. And so since then, I've been looking for others that are kind of like it. And I'll never, but I'll never replace that one. It was rough. It was just perfect. <laughs> Jesus is going to talk about that today in Luke 11. Not about, uh, you know, old coffee cups from Colorado. He's going to talk about, though, a drinking vessel and how important the inside is as well as the outside. So we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. Now, now um, you and I know um, that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and wrote also the book of Acts. Uh, we won't get into the book of Acts in this series, but we're going to be for a few weeks in the Gospel of Luke, and then we're going to see what uh, Paul says about the law of love. But um, uh, in particular here... Uh, this scripture today is part of a larger section where Jesus has gone to Jerusalem and he's been teaching and he's been healing and um, he's, his teaching calls out the wickedness of the people in the land and calls them to what I would call a spiritual transformation. Now, um, he's going to talk today, there, we, we hear this quite a bit around here, uh, talk about uh, the Pharisees, and I want I want to just kind of address that real quickly as we as we kind of get started today. Uh, the Pharisees were most were a, kind of a small group of uh, very religious uh, and uh, people who were part of the leadership of the nation. The New Testament Gospels describe Jesus' interactions with them uh, more than any of, of the other parties. So. I uh, did some reading this week and, and did some reading about the Essenes who aren't really talked about in there in the Gospels. Uh, certainly the Sadducees were talked about quite a bit. Um, and um, uh, in, in a few of those, the Zealots, you know, one of the 12 was Simon the Zealot. So I read about them. But the Pharisees are talked about more than anybody else. And, and they're engaged more by Jesus than any of the rest of them. Um, uh, they believed in a strict adherence to Judaism uh, that would have involved obedience to the law of Moses, the first five books in particular of the Old Testament. And um, uh, they believed that by faithfully obeying even the smallest parts of the law, they would receive blessing from God. That's kind of how they lived. That sounds like a pretty good way to live, right? Well, the problem was... <coughs> that in order to do so, they had established a, a books of tradition uh, that um, guided the behavior around which they were following the law. And one writer says they built a fence around the law. Uh, 
enforcing tradition, enforcing their own rules, and the idea that they had is by following the Pharisees' tradition, a person would faithfully keep God's commandments, even down to the most obscure little command. And they would, they would take just the most obscure thing and make that kind of a, a major thing. But it caused them, according to Jesus, it caused them to lose sight of the intentions of Moses' law and the extent to which they've been influenced by their traditions instead of the law of Moses. Um, Jesus is going to say that in, in their zeal to do these other things, they, they failed to... Um, they failed to um, cultivate hearts of worship that the law required. And so Jesus is going to denounce them for pride, for hypocrisy. We'll see that in today's uh, talk. Uh, he is going to um, uh, denounce the Pharisees for, for um, all of these kind of internal sins. And as a result, all kinds of conflict ensues between Jesus and the Pharisees. So Jesus in, in Luke 11 is teaching, and at the end of his teaching, one of these Pharisees invites him home for lunch. That's a great setup, don't you think? I just think it's a super setup to a, a where is this going to go? All right, so we're going to have Steve Blair, if you don't mind, Steve, to pick it up in, uh, if you would, pick it up in verse 37, 1137, and read down to 41. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then... You Pharisees claim, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Okay, can I get somebody to go to chapter 5 and be ready to read 27 down to 31? Who'll do that? Chapter 5. Thank you, Mark. Okay, uh, we'll get there in a minute. And then, um, well, well, we'll just kind of camp out on that for just a second. Now, why do you think the Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner? Do what? A lot of times it was a setup. It was a trap. Uh, and, and I wonder if it is here, although in context, I'm not so sure. Uh, sometimes um, um, somebody who kind of wanted to be seen as a big shot would say, um, I would love to invite you to my home for dinner. You know, and it's like, uh, okay, so the, the, this itinerant teacher that everybody was spellbound by is going home with me. That's a big deal. Okay, so uh, we, I was up here Friday night, didn't get to come back yesterday, but John Ortberg has been here this weekend uh, for the Church of God Ministers uh, General Assembly. And uh, wouldn't it be interesting if you said, John, why don't you go, uh, uh, let's go to dinner. It's kind of that kind of setup, you know, because he's kind of a big shot. And uh, now John wouldn't think he's a big shot, but he is. I've read about everything he's he written. And I would love to talk to him about that. Maybe the Pharisee had some of that in mind. Maybe not, Ellie. Maybe it was a setup. But for whatever reason, 
uh, he is there. Jesus has been teaching about judgment. Now, um, uh, let, let's look here real quick. Um, Mark, go ahead and read uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 27 down through 31. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. With him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at, this, at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. <clears throat> Interesting. Talk about turning the tables. Jesus has been teaching. He calls Matthew to follow him. And with what Mark read here, Matthew says, Rabbi, would you come home with me? And it was an honest, I want to, I'm going to spend time with you. And in fact, this is, there's a great thing that you and I can do here. Um, I remember Norma Townsend used to talk about doing a Matthew dinner. Um, because right here, Matthew, uh, he knows that, that Jesus has changed his life. And so, and remember, he's, a, he's an unwanted, uh, unconnected tax collector. So he inv invites a bunch of his tax collector friends to dinner with Jesus. What a deal. In fact, there are people like the guy in our story who are kind of watching from the edges saying, why is he having dinner with them? Jesus is constantly flipping the tables like this, and he does, does so here. So he's been teaching about judgment. Look at, um, at back in chapter 11, look at, look at verse 32. This is interesting. It, it's, it's, uh, not a part, it's before our, uh, where we picked it up, but uh, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Uh, isn't it interesting that, uh, have you ever said, um, uh, if something, if, if, uh, uh, if this town, this city, maybe you said if Las Vegas doesn't change its way, uh, God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That was kind of that deal. Uh, have you heard that kind of thing? Uh, boy, if, if God, if, if, if these people don't change their way, God's going to need to apologize to get Sodom and Gomorrah. That was kind of that, that reference here. Nineveh was the city, uh, the wicked city to whom Jonah preached. And they all, the whole town, repented in sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. Uh, so, Jesus says here, um, that, it's kind of interesting. He's been teaching that. Um, he, he's been teaching on spiritual health. Um, and, and this man invites him to dinner. Um, and um, um, look at verse 32. It's interesting to me. Right before he says, uh, well, we looked at verse 32. Look at verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a Cellar under a basket, but on the lampstand, so those who enter may see the light. And so, so from there to verse 36, he's talking about uh, living a life, um, uh, talking about spiritual health and living a life that's on display in a good way for everybody to see. Jesus probably right here wrote the song and sang it 
this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Okay? Don't hide it under a bushel. Remember that one? All right. He, he composed that right here and sang it. Probably not. Right. It would have been a little better musically had he written it. Anyway, okay. So that's, a, that's the setup for this. Now, so he sits down to dinner, but he didn't wash his hands ceremonially first. Verse 38. Now, what, I, what you need to understand here, I think, is that Jesus didn't object necessarily to washing his hands. That's not the point of verse 38. How do I know that? Well, um, uh, look at 744. Let's go back to 744. Just a couple of pages back. And um, uh, he is in a, at another dinner. And uh, a woman comes and uh, washes his feet. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped it with her hair. Um, um, and if you, if you think about that, you think about um, uh, in John 2, there were the large uh, pots of ceremonial, ceremonial cleansing water. He doesn't rebuke them for that. He just turns it into wine. Uh, if you remember uh, in John 13, when uh, at the Last Supper, Jesus kind of lets them have it because they didn't wash his feet. You, you remember that story? So he's not opposed. We've got to catch here. He's not opposed to uh, washing. Uh, ceremonial washing was a common custom. Um, um, and so he's going to talk about being ritually clean here. Uh, I, uh, I put really from Leviticus 11 to Leviticus 15, it talks about all kinds of law in the original Mosaic law about uh, cleanliness and, and uh, that. Uh, but the question, in question here was a tradition. Uh, when I read 744, uh, there's kind of a tradition being challenged. And so uh, Jesus surprised the Pharisee. Hey, catch that? How, how does it say it in your, in your Bible in, uh, in verse uh, 38? Mine says, uh, when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he didn't watch. What would you got? Astonished. He was astonished. Okay, we've got to read a couple things. So I, I did a little work on this word. So, Rhonda, if I can get you to go to Mark 5.20. Somebody else go to Mark 6.6. 6. He'll do, go to Mark 6.6. 6. John, thank you. Okay, I want to, here's the same word being used by Mark. It was also used in a similar way by Luke, but I, I just thought it was more illustrative of it. Uh, John, read Mark 5.20. Oh, oh, that was you. Sorry. Got it back. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Mark 5.20. He's done a healing. And everybody's astonished. It's used that way. Astonished. They wonder at it. It's often used by Mark and by Luke as a word of astonishment for something good that Jesus has done. This is probably a different context. Now, now John, if you would read Mark 6, 6. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And Jesus went around teaching from village to village. 
So Jesus' amazement was not a good thing. You catch that? He was jaw-dropped that they didn't have more faith than they had. It's that context that the Pharisee kind of reacts to Jesus here, um, I, I, I think. Um, uh, it's this idea that uh, Jesus begins to eat and the Pharisee, well, I never. Okay, that's the deal, all right? Jesus sees that. Um, it, interestingly, he sees that. And um, um, so Jesus catches him with his jaw dropped. And beginning with verse 39, he begins to teach about that. The words in my Bible turn red in about verse 39. And he talks about my old coffee cup. All right. Um, interesting here. What you've got to understand is it's not that he's not interested in this, but here he's not interested in food safety. <laughs> this is not about food safety. And what I want you to know is that in context, I don't think what the Pharisee was remarking about was about food safety either. It wasn't about, you know, it wasn't, wasn't COVID-19. It wasn't you got to wash your hands or you'll get sick. It, it, none of that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I don't think here. It was about, he was more concerned with, Jesus was more concerned with actual purity. No mud and mold and crud in there. Then he was about ritual purity. Um, look with me. Go to 1614. My Bible, you turn two leaves to the right. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things. They were scoffing at him. There was some ritual purity involved here that Jesus kind of could intuit because he could read the heart. We're not real. Bill Reeves, you're going to like this story. In the 17th century, a guy by the name of Samuel Collins entered the Russian palace, sumptuous, beautiful palace, eager to attend his first royal ball. Uh, he was a physician, and uh, Collins had been appointed as the personal physician to the Russian Tsar. As the festivities began, the Tsar introduced Collins to Dr. Collins to a group of noble women, Russian noble women, and uh, as Dr. Collins greeted the women, in his own broken Russian, it made them laugh a little bit. And as they laughed and broke into smiles, it revealed that their teeth were various shades of black. These were Russian aristocrat women. Um, uh, soon after, he, uh, Dr. Collins realized that every woman at the ball had inexplicably dyed her teeth uh, black. Now, the reason was because of poor dental hygiene habits, Bill, tooth decay was prevalent during the time. So instead of going to see Dr. Reeves, 
they just decided that the, the better thing would do, so you couldn't tell the rotten tooth from the healthy tooth, is they're just going to paint them all black. That's a real story. 17th century. Jesus is calling out this guy for painting his teeth black. Okay. Um, uh, uh, so uh, he's more concerned with the outside, which, by the way, matters, but not as much as the inside. So in verse 40, he begins to say, I want to say it again. What's more important? The inside or the outside? Uh, comparatively, the inside is more important. But catch Jesus' question in verse 40. Uh, you foolish ones, uh, uh, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? I think the implication here is that God desires, desires us to live clean lives from the inside out. What's more important? And I think he's going to say both. But if you had to compare, it's the inside that's more important than the outside. Now, my guess is um, that Joanne wouldn't think of leaving the outside of your favorite cup dirty because it's got pictures on it. It's got something beautiful. Debbie, you wouldn't leave the outside of the thing that your granddaughter gave you because it means something to you. But Jesus is saying... You're addressing that, but you're forgetting the inside is moldy. And he's saying, I think, you need to address both. But the most important is what's inside. Now, verse 41, he begins to call him out on the practice of justice. Um, uh, Interestingly, he was calling them to follow the law that they held so dear from the very beginning. And I, I put uh, Leviticus 25, if you read even verse 35, generosity has always been the law. <clears throat> Pharisees were not known for generosity. They, uh, we read it a little bit ago, bit ago. They really liked money. And so he's calling them out. Uh, for um, the practice of justice that they didn't practice. Now, let's go on with the story. Uh, Cindy, I'm going to come back to you if I can and have you read 42, 43, and 44. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. John, in a minute, can I get you to find Numbers eleven sixteen? Now, Jesus is going to issue three back to back to back woes. Now, if you remember like I do when I was a teenager and watched um, Happy Days, you remember Fonzie, Fonzie's best, uh, best expression was, whoa. 
Remember that? He would look at his hair in the mirror of the, of the uh, men's room at Arnold's Dry Men, and it was perfect. And he would say, whoa. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about here. A woe here as is pronounced. And by the way, Isaiah pronounces woes. Micah, the prophet Micah, pronounces woes. The idea is um, intended, uh, it's intended to announce pending pain. <laughs> That's a woe in this context. And so in the first one, he refers here to, um, to herbs that they were willing to tithe from. Okay. But interestingly, when he talks about mint and rue, those were not cultivated herbs. They grew wild. But the, but the Pharisees were accustomed to, if they had some wild mint or wild rue, and I'm not really sure what that is, growing in their yard, they would be sure to gather up a tenth of that. But the good stuff, they may not give from at all. And he says here, um, um, kind of the, the idea here is, that is what he says, I think, is that part is insignificant. How do you tithe on something that you didn't even cultivate? They practiced that, but they ignored justice. And so, well, number one comes the result of keeping, keeping and you know this term, they would keep a minor command while ignoring the major one. Now, this whole series, if I can introduce it at this point. Hi, Peyton. Good to see you, man. I was talking about you to somebody this week, commending you, not only for your exceptional hair, but, you know. Anyway. Uh, 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 so, a minor command was ignored, a minor command was held to, was grabbed, while ignoring a major one, um, uh, an insignificant one. And so this whole series, we're going to be talking about um, the law of love. If I get that right, I think it's going to have a tendency to put all the rest in place. So the first one was um, the woe that he gives them as a result of keeping a minor command while ignoring all the major ones. Number two, I think, has to do with misdirected love. Misdirected love. You remember when we read uh, earlier uh, about justice uh, and taking care of people. Um, uh, I, what I think here... Um, uh, I'm going to read it again. We'll look, look at verse 43, which is the second woe. Um, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. The idea was you walked in here and there wasn't a seat to be found. There may be people in, in a small synagogue setting who would be sitting along the, on the floor. The guy he was talking to expected someone to get up and give him their seat. Have I told you what, I, what happened to me in Rome? This happened to me two or three places in Italy. This is funny. I must be looking really, really old. Because two or three times in Italy, I was in the Sistine Chapel for crying out loud, doing this. 
And a young man came over to me, a young dad, probably in his 30s, and said, sir, would you like to have a seat over here? <laughs> I was in a waiting room, and a young lady came over to me and said, sir, would you like to have my seat? I'm looking really old, guys, evidently. This guy expected that. If he walked in the room, oh, give him the best seat. So the idea here is, I think, misdirected love, self-centeredness. Third woe, verse 44, he says, this was a little harder to come up with, but I'll spend just a minute on it. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Walking over the dead even, touching the dead, all that was a serious offense. John, read, uh, if you would, uh, did I give you um, Numbers eleven sixteen? Yes, but did you mean that or 19, 11? Actually meant Numbers eleven sixteen. You know what? Maybe I did mean 1911. Start there. Start there. I don't know why I wrote 1116. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone will be unclean for seven days. Okay. Now go back to 1116. There's a note. So you can't touch a dead body, but it goes further than that. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders I told you I'm getting old. I told you I'm getting old. John, go back to 19 and read um, verse 16 in 19. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a brain will be unclean for seven days. So the idea here is, even if you stumbled over an unmarked grave, you were considered unclean and go, had to go through all kinds of ritual cleansing. Touching a dead body was a simple, it was an absolute no-no. But even if you walked on a grave that you knew was a grave, or if you walked over a grave that you didn't know was a grave, uh, you were unclean. Now, it's interesting. Jesus says to this guy, remember, he's called him out for uncleanness. And Jesus says, bumping up against you is like walking over an unmarked grave. I wonder how the second course went in this meal. <laughs> Now, I'm going to say this. A casual meeting with you should never just be casual. Um, you ever have the occasion to say, I bumped into somebody. Or um, uh, what if someone was to just brush against you? What's that reaction going to be? Several years back, it was, we were just first in this building. We actually had a concert. Uh, the first concert we had in here was a, was a uh, um, uh, 
a fundraiser that featured Roy Clark. He was here and did a concert here. And, uh, maybe some of you were here that night. Anyway, the place was packed, and Rhonda was driving an old 240D Mercedes. It was old, but it, the reason she liked it was because it was the color of butter. If you know her, you'll understand that. Um, well, when, I came, when we came out from the concert that night, there was a business card or a note on, on the windshield saying, hey, sorry, I bumped in your car, uh, getting out. And uh, give me a call. So I called the guy. And I realized, I recognized the last name, but I didn't, didn't realize the connection. And I realized it as I got to know him. Um, this guy was an insurance agent or something in town. He was a successful businessman. Uh, his father had owned Dockham Pontiac. Remember that? Remember Dockham Pontiac? What he didn't know, Herb and Janet, is how much the name Dockham meant to me. Because in Paul's Valley, America, when Buzz and Sally, my parents, were 21 years old, just married, they met this guy's grandmother, Myrtle Dockham, who was a preacher. And she led my parents to faith in Jesus. In the house, in the church that she started in her home in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. And so that was much more important to me than he bumped into Rhonda's little butter car. We got that taken care of and it was fine. And here's my question. If someone were to walk over your life, when they bump into you, is it going to make them better or bitter? It's true here um, that I think a casual meeting with you should never just be casual. You ought to speak life into everyone you meet. And so I'm going to encourage you through this whole series to leave a little bit of Jesus' love behind in every random meeting that you experience. Because I want you, on the other side of meeting me, to be better. Unfortunately, the man in Jesus' story bumped into the source of life, and because of one thing, it made him actually bitter. Can you imagine? Stick with me, okay? I'm going to talk you through this stuff. We'll be in Luke 14 next week, okay? I'll see you there. Have a great Sunday.